Welcome to the Breakthrough Zone, where lives are transformed one breakthrough at a time. Now, here's your host, internationally recognized coach and author, John Page Burton. Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to be here in the Breakthrough Zone this morning. First show back in a while. We uh, took a little time off this summer to regroup and building out a new company. So we're really excited to be here. We are going to dedicate the next four podcasts to women's leadership. And no better person to kick off the first show in our series, September series on women's leadership than uh, Diana Burton. Diana Burton is an Air Force veteran. She is also a senior project manager for the cybersecurity division of a Chicago-based technology company. Prior to that, Diana served for 13 years as a VP for technology at a top five bank. She has served as a senior project manager for four separate Fortune 100 companies. She's also a partner and women's leadership coach at the J.P. Burton Group. And most importantly to me, she's my wife. So, Diana, welcome into the Breakthrough Zone. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, and thank you for the kind words. You're welcome. So, I'm just going to dive right in here. So, how did you end up in the Air Force? Well, I grew up on a farm in a small town in Missouri, and learned the work ethic early. My dad was with the airline, so we traveled a lot. Fast forward, senior in high school, had no idea what I wanted to do, and decided, hey, join the Air Force and see the world. See the world. (laughs) That's been the hook for so many people, (laughs) especially all the young people. You know, come serve your country, see the world. So what was that like, seeing Uh, the world? Well, I did get to see my bit of the world. However, I was also placed in a law enforcement field that was mainly male-dominated, and I was one of the first females to be allowed into law enforcement in the military. So you said allowed. I caught that. So you were were allowed to be in law enforcement in the military. Yes, it was a close field until the early 80s when I joined, and they needed females to have that diversity. So I was honored to be appointed to be law enforcement. Learned a lot and um, taught me a really strong work ethic, but taught me a lot about people as well. So you were coming off the farm. I mean, so you already have to have a work ethic. I had an opportunity to go back to your uh, hometown a couple of years ago. And that, that was quite a trip, actually, um, you know, to put a perspective for audience. She grew up in a town of about 350 people. Town Hall was literally an oversized tough shed next to Gracie's Tavern. So I guess from one standpoint, it would be convenient to move the rowdies next door right away, but uh, but it was a trip. But you're out there working the farm, you're getting to work ethic, and I know your dad was a huge influence in your life. So what were some of the things that he taught you that translated into your time in the, uh, in the Air Force? He taught me the value of work ethic. He taught me the value of discipline 
And he taught me the value of being willing and able to listen to people's different points of view. He negotiated contracts for the airlines and just by watching how he worked and how he dealt with people has served me well my entire career. Yeah, you have a tremendous work ethic. And I think all of our friends and the people in our circle who know you really well, you know, everybody always talks about your work ethic and your leadership. And so how much of that came from the Air Force? How much of your leadership training? Because I know, as you know, I spent six years in a military academy and, and I know that has played a huge role in my leadership and willingness to lead when others don't. And It played a big part, but I also found later it was more the discipline that I learned while in the military that served me really well. But I also learned that I'm a, more effective as a leader from within a group versus out in the front. Okay. And I love having that internal influence to help create win-win scenarios for everybody. Yeah, and that's something that's really, you bring that up, because so many people see leaders as the person in the front of the room. You know, they're identified as sometimes the loudest person in the room. And most of the really great leaders I know, including you, are leaders from within. They don't necessarily, they're not the rah-rah folks. They're not the desk pounders. They're the people that actually people, and I see this with you all the time, people just naturally gravitate towards you because they recognize that you're consistent, your strength. And so I think so much of leadership, correct me if I'm wrong, but so much of leadership is about your beingness, not your title. Agreed. And you can command uh, leadership, but leadership is really earned. And it's earned by walking the walk and not talking the talk. Yeah. So you're in the military and you meet uh, then at that time, your future husband, Fred, mm-hmm. and uh, you end up having two boys who are now like my boys, Yeah. but they're your boys, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was a blessing. Of, we were married 15 years, fast forward, divorced and found myself a single mom of two almost teenagers and all that comes along with that. Um, And was put in a position where I got to do um, everything that I knew to do to be a single mom and be the mom, the dad, the breadwinner, the one that puts a Band-Aid on the scraped knee, all of it. And learned a lot of lessons, made some mistakes. However, um, I don't regret it. And I don't, I absolutely am so proud to be Ryan and Derek's mom. They're just great human beings. And I'm they're I'm proud of them. Absolutely. And yeah, that's a position that so many women, and I know this month, this show, this month, on the Breakthrough Zone is dedicated to women's leadership. And we're going to talk throughout our time together today about, you know, a lot of the challenges that you have faced and a lot of women face working their way up through corporate America. Um, how did you how did you get into technology to begin with? 
I got my start in the Air Force. It was when the first Mac, and some will remember this, when the first Mac came out and it was a big deal, the word processor. Um, you didn't have to use a typewriter and type everything over if you made a mistake. <laughs> so it was a big deal. Um, started in early 80s and then fast forward, got out of the military, started crawling under desks and um, fixing servers and fixing computers and help desk and everything that went along with it. And then probably 10 years into my career, I moved into project management and building out data centers and found that I absolutely loved it. I It's a natural talent for me because I am organized, I'm analytical, I'm efficient, and um, project management, I just love the sense of building things that yeah. impact yeah. people's lives. So yeah, it was a good fit. And fast forward, I don't know, 35 years later, I'm still having fun with it. <laughs> So I want to go back for a minute because you're a single mom. Mm -hmm. um, at that point in time, the boy's dad was not really checked in. He was he was also involved in military service, so he was still he was a you know he was still away for for periods of time. So initially, was this something that you just said, "Hey, I've got to pay the bills." This this is something that you know seems interesting. What was that? What was that process like? I was already in the technology field, but in a different capacity. And absolutely, when I became a single mom and realized that I was on, it was on me to raise my boys. And um, I just stepped into it and said, yeah, this could actually provide a really nice lifestyle and pay the bills, but then also have some fun along the way. So, um, and then it just became a passion. After that, it was a necessity that became a passion. So a necessity became the passion. Yeah. And then once it became a passion, you really latched on. Because as I, as I spoke of in the introduction, I mean, you have worked for, as a senior project manager for four Fortune 100 companies. You were a VP of technology for a top five bank. And to our listeners, were intentionally not naming names and part of what uh, what you do now involves, you know, cybersecurity and things. So we're kind of keeping names out of here. But su suffice to say that 13, after 13 years of VPN technology, um, I remember the day that you came into my office and I had never really seen you with that particular expression on your face. I've seen some other expressions on your face that some of them, you know, I directly created. <laughs> <laughs> but that particular day, take me through that day. You had been with the same company for 13 years. You had risen through the ranks. You were making, by any standard, an exceptional uh, amount of money as a salary, benefits, everything. What, what, what changed? What caused you to decide today's the day that I really need to start looking in a different direction. It was an evolution of a couple of years. It wasn't an instant, automatic, okay, I'm just done today. Um, it was a subtle culture shift and then a significant culture shift within the, the bank. And it just stopped being fun. And okay. for me, 
to be passionate about something, but I also want to have fun doing what I do. And so I want to jump in mm-hmm. like I do on this show all the time <laughs> and, and stop because I have a question. So there are people out there that are hearing, um, that will hear this podcast and say, okay, but obviously with your credentials, you're making really good money. What does fun have to do with it? Fun has everything to do with it. If you don't look forward to getting up, getting out of bed, and doing what you do for work, for um, to pay your bills, then yes, there will be times where life isn't fun, but the majority of the time, you should love what you do. You should really like the people that you work with, the team that you're on, the culture in the company, and know that it supports you in growing and evolving into the person and the career that you really desire. And if you don't have that, then why stay with that company? I, yeah, It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah, doesn't everybody's situation is different. I mean, you know, you this occurred for you too at a place where um, all of our children, you're two, I have one, but they're all out of the house. Um, but I remember that process and it was, it was almost like a grieving process at, at, at some points because you had so much invested over here. You had built relationships. You had, you know, tremendous passion at one point, but then it, it ceased to be fun. And one of the things is a career reinvention coach that I work with clients all the time. And one of the things is I just, it's not joyful. I'm not happy. I don't feel like I matter anymore. I feel stifled. I mean, these are all these feelings that you felt as well. Cause I remember this, we had these conversations and I absolutely agree with that. And um, it is it is a grieving process, especially if you've been with a company for a long time, uh, you've developed relationships, all of it. It's a process, but it's one that I'm absolutely glad that I went through because even when I changed companies, it took a couple of months to really shift and go through, the, uh, finish that process of grieving what could have been what my plan was, but it had changed in such a significant way. And I, one of my mantras is life happens when you're making other plans and you may be going one direction, but it no longer serves you. So you have to be willing to pivot and go in a different direction and maybe see the bigger picture where you've maybe had been in a bubble thinking like it needs to look this way when really there's so much more and so much better out there. Yeah, I know one of the things you talk about a lot is, you know, it's time to stretch and grow. And that was one of the things for you that when you went to your new company, you you interviewed, obviously, you were hired. Um, what's that? What's that like today? I mean, this is such a different culture than what you came from. How big a role does culture play in in the workplace? I think culture is huge. Um, people want to matter. They want to feel like they're heard. And they want to feel like they have an opportunity to learn and grow within that company on on their terms. Yeah. 
And I think companies, the successful companies out there, see that, know that, and they don't just talk about it, they do it. Right. And the company I'm currently with, love it. It's, um, it absolutely embraces and models what a positive work culture can be. And they don't just walk the walk. They, they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah, I remember a couple weeks ago, that's about a month ago now, um, but, you know, once again, you came to my office and you said, you know, I just had a conversation with one of my VPs and um, they've just put a opportunity out in front of me and that was an opportunity to enter the uh, cybersecurity space, which is something you had talked about a couple of years ago. and. So all of a sudden, this is presented based on your talent, your skill set, their needs, where they want to grow, or where they want to go, rather. And uh, I remember I said, you know, to you, I said, so what? what is really drawing you to the opportunity? And you said it's an opportunity to stretch and grow. So obviously for you, stretching and growing is really huge, but there's somebody out there right now listening to this and they're thinking about making a move. So when you talk about stretching and growing, what are you talking about? It's a good question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I get on a couple every now and then. When I talk about stretching and growing and it, you're right, it's different for everybody. It's, it looks different for everybody. However, what I mean by stretch and go for me is I, I'm i a lof- lifelong learner. And so if I don't feel like I'm learning, then I feel like, then I get bored, frankly. And whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's psychology, whether it's human relationship, whatever it is, as long as I'm learning, then I can I stay engaged and I stay excited. But when I feel like I'm not learning and not growing, I get bored. And I'm like, so what's the point? Yeah. Not everybody looks at life that way. And I understand that. That's how that's how I'm wired. Yeah. And I get it, it's not a one size fits all. However, my take is you have to do what makes you happy and what resonates with you because then everybody else around you will be happy as well. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things too that it's always attracted me about you, and a lot of this took place before we got together, which we're in our now 14th year together, which is amazing. Set an anniversary on Friday. Happy anniversary. Hey, same to you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. So you you were involved in a lot of different women's leadership programs. I know you through you went through size seminars. You took that to a whole different level. Um, somehow they're in my office, but I have pictures of you climbing to the top of giant telephone poles and jumping up and catching trapezes. All the stuff that I'm quite frankly averse to. I don't like heights, but. So you've gone through so many different women's leadership programs. Tell me, tell me about the role that personal development has played in your in your career. Personal development has been huge, and I can say I didn't really start on that journey till I was in my early forties. Okay. So 
it's been an evolution and one that I'm glad I really stepped into. Uh, it hasn't always been easy. I've chosen to look at a lot of things during that evolution that some not some not so good, other really good. Um, however, it's all part of the journey I call my life that I'm where I should be in this moment. And however, it wasn't a bright, shiny, hey, let's have fun the entire way. It's, it's taken a lot of work and a lot of self-evaluation to get where I am. And I'm glad I went through the, the process. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, I want to, yeah, I, I just think it's so important because, you know, we, we live in a world where everybody's in a personal growth. Everybody, you know, mm-hmm. can quote Tony and Wes, you know, Les Brown and all this stuff. But there's a huge difference between talking about it, knowing the catchphrases, having a few good little workbook exercises to take your, take your client through. It's another thing to truly believe it, to really put it to, to work. And I think that, you know, it's something I'm mindful. I, I know you're around me a lot when I'm coaching, but, you know, I'm mindful of that, of just because I've gone through all of this and I've got a lot of life experience, I've built, as you know, a couple of very successful companies over the years. And I still every day go, what can I learn today? What can I learn today? We're reading. You and I have a habit in the morning of we read a book, right? So right now we're on uh, Atomic Habits, which is a fabulous book. So I'm going to put a plug out today for Atomic Habits. It's by James Clear, I believe. Clear, 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 clear. Mm -hmm. Fabulous book. Takes an entirely different look at habits and the roles that habits play in our life, but. So I think that being in the personal development industry, I teach it, and yet I, I continue to be a student of it because every day I'm going to learn something different. And that's something that's always admired me about you because, you know, our personality types are different. I tend to be a very, you know, right now communicator. Um, doof, I can, you know, if something's not working, I will change direction. I can draw a line in the sand with the best of them. You tend to take a more, you're a really good critical thinker, right? You look at all different sides. So what what role does critical thinking play in your success process? Because you're in an industry where you have to make decisions and all your decisions that you make, they're really, they involve a lot of money. They can. They can, yeah. Um, I would say first, the first thing when I understood my personality type as an analyst and uh, and learned to be okay with not being the woohoo person out in front that yeah. you know that something's wrong with me or broken with me because I mm-hmm. I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. I learned to be comfortable in my own skin and just know what I know, but don't really have to talk about it all the time. Yeah. And just quietly go about doing what I do. Um, once I became okay with that and comfortable comfortable in my own skin and how I can present ideas and in a way that causes people to maybe pause and think and maybe take another approach, 
then I found that my career started going in a totally positive way, positive direction. It was hard learned. However, um, personal development will be an ongoing exercise for me the rest of my life because I've not arrived. I won't arrive. I will be a continued learner until the day I die. Right. There's some illusion out there that that we're going to become masters, right? We're not going to become masters. We're human. I would say anybody that says they've mastered personal development, you want to exit stage left very quickly. Yeah. And I guarantee I can trigger you if I know you. Mm -hmm. Just when you think you're you're a master, I'll trigger you. And just when I think I'm a master, someone will trigger me, right? But back to your point, I think this is something that's really important. We also live in in a society where, and we've talked about this before, we live in a society where everyone like looks up to the extrovert. The loudest one in the room must be the leader. This person that is in every selfie at every networking event in town, you know, wow, I wish I could be like them, right? But we know and studies continue to keep coming out that time and time again, some of the most effective leaders are actually introverts. So we have this thing where they were, people looked down on introverts and they thought, you know, well, that person's an introvert, therefore they're not a leader, they're not, you know, they're not someone that's going to stand up. When in reality, like for myself, I am an introvert. I've shared this with people. I go, no, you're not. I go, oh, yes, I am. I prefer to be in very small groups. Have I sp- I've spoken in front of audiences of 8,000 people in my career time and again. But I don't like it. I do it because that's my job. But my personality and my leadership style is that of an introvert. And you do that very well. You too are an introvert but you don't climb through the ranks of corporate America like you have if you're not an effective leader, right? So I think that, I think a lot of that has been, you know, it's blown out of proportion. We as a society go, hey, the person that's the loudest in the room must be the most effective. And rarely is that ever the, ever the thought. Some of your favorite leaders are the people that you have followed and really admired throughout your career, what were their personality styles? Introvert, extrovert, combination? I would say mostly introvert, uh, some combination. My dad was definitely an introvert. My grandmother- And he was highly effective. Highly effective. And my grandmother was very quiet, but very introverted, yet she was a very quiet leader. And so the most, influential uh, leaders that I still to this day uh, think about the lessons I learned from them would be my dad, my grandmother. And I'm not saying that there's a, as long as there's a balance with introvert, extrovert, I think it's really effective. However, the tendency is to listen more to the extrovert and the introvert is overlooked for for leadership for management, for a lot of things, when really, if you have that good um, mix, I think it allows for uh, synchronicity as the team moves forward. Yeah, yeah. And it values, and you can value both 
in different ways and not make one or the other right or wrong. Right. And so as an effective leader, as someone, you know, who's in, in, in your leadership capacity has worked in, you know, the leadership arena for a very long time, uh, what are some of the effective tools you've learned for communicating with extroverts as an introvert? Listen a lot. And then when they take a breath, um, <laughs> insert your thought, yeah. knowing that they may or may not hear it, but they may cause them to pause to think. Yeah. But And I want to be careful here because I don't want it to sound as if one is good or bad. Um, they both introvert and extrovert. We need both. We need both. We have to have both. But we need the balance. Right. And the introvert to maybe be valued a little more. Absolutely. There's a book that I read, oh, it's probably been several months ago, uh, called Quiet. Quiet, yes. And I read that too. it was the first book that I've really read about being an introvert that act absolutely described it to a T. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how... And I would highly recommend it, anybody in corporate, anybody in any type of a leadership role, I would highly recommend reading Quiet yeah. because it can give you some insight into how each group operates and how you can maybe bring them together and move them forward in one direction. Yeah, that's effective leadership. It's like any kind of a meeting. Mm-hmm. You need people who have an opposing view. For an organization, any kind of a brainstorming session to be effective, it has to involve differing points of view, opposition, right? Opposition is always effective in a group brainstorming because if you have somebody goes, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, whatever you say, Bob, that's good. That That's not effective. That will never be, it's never innovative. It's not creative. It's really just going along to get along. So. Just like you need introverts and extroverts, you need, you know, people who have differing opinions that say, well, why are we doing that? Well, because we always have. No, that's not a good enough answer. Why are we doing this, right? And people have to be in a space for, in my opinion, for effective leadership, you know, for for effective growth to happen. You have to have that. You have to have the different personality types, and none of them are better than than, than the other. Well, you have to, uh, I think effective leaders understand personality types, but then leadership types as well. Extrovert, introvert, you know, the DISC system, there's all kinds of systems, same personality types, just different, called different right. things. Yeah. Um, and I think effective leaders understand people and they know how to work within their strengths. Um, also, I would say, it's really, I think, being respectful and we've forgotten how to listen and yeah. really hear yeah. what people are saying. Yeah. I think we can get back to that. Then I think um, we'll start, a, any company can move in a positive direction. Yeah, they have to listen. They have to listen to their customers. And they have to listen to their, you know, like I always do, you know, outtake or whatever you call them when, when somebody's done coaching with me. Uh, you know, kind of feedback. I like, I like mm-hmm. to give feedback, you know, what we're, 
you know, what were some of the things that really helped you? What are some of the things that, you know, I, I maybe I fell short on as a coach or, and I think if we're open to that, but, but right now, and I'm not going to go down this path for, I'm going to go down mm-hmm. for, I'm going to give myself 10 seconds here. We, we live in a very dev- divisive culture. Um, this is my belief. Therefore, anything other must be wrong. And that doesn't work in, in, in business. And it certainly is not working really very well in other areas. But so I want to, I want to go and, and ask you, uh, I've got some questions here. I really want to, uh, to uh, ask you and what are some of the challenges you experienced as a woman? This remember, this is women's leadership month in a breakthrough zone. What are some of the challenges you experienced as a woman navigating up? We can even go back to when you were allowed to join the Air Force uh, or allowed to become a military uh, police officer in the Air Force. But from that point to now, what are some of the, you know, so what are some of the things you've experienced as a woman? I would say definitely discrimination based on gender. In what way? Uh, salary, for sure. Okay. Um, promotion. Um, I remember you uh, telling me a story one time about, this was kind of early in your career, about an employer who uh, you found out that you were making what twenty five or thirty thousand less than your male counterpart doing the exact same job, and uh, what was his response to that? Because I know, being the explicit communicator that you are, you brought that to his attention. Uh, his response when I questioned him about it was that only. Men should be paid more because they're always the head of the household and they had a family to support. And my response to him was, I am a single mom. I am the head of my household and I deserve to pay, be paid exactly what a man would be paid because I'm doing the same role. And how, and how did he take that? Not well. Um, he was actually fired shortly after that. So. He obviously he had other problems, but right, right. Uh, but it was it was a lesson early on though in my career about standing up for myself in a respectful way, okay. and knowing when to speak up and knowing when maybe you need to get results in a different way. And that's a fair. I mean, that's a fair thing to go and say to your boss. Look, I'm mm-hmm. a single mom. I am the head household. I am raising my children. And it sure would be nice to have commensurate pay to my male counterpart. I don't, I don't think that's an unreasonable request. It's not. Um, but keep in mind that was back in the 90s. Yeah, so it's a different yeah. environment, different culture. Um, I believe we have come a long way and we've made a lot of progress in that area. We see more women in leadership roles, executive, senior executive roles, CEOs. Yeah, yeah, Um, you're one. So we have definitely come a long way, but I I think that there's still work to be done. Okay. So what are some of the other challenges you've faced? Um, I mean, obviously pay is big and I hear this. We've heard this for decades, right? Mm-hmm. Women, I'm, I know some of the other women on our, on our, that are coming up on our show probably, you know, allude to this as well. But what are some of the other challenges that come to mind that women face that are a little different than what men face? 
Well, I think um, it's harder for women, in my opinion, it's harder for women to, in certain companies, certain cultures to be promoted or be considered for a promotion. Um, I'm fortunate that I work for a company that they absolutely value talent and people. And um, I love the culture of my company. However, I also think that there are certain industries where we really haven't moved out of the 80s or 90s when it comes to women in leadership roles. And it seems to me, and I, and I and I know this is true, not just for you know single moms, because I have a couple of clients that are single moms that are, you know, navigating corporate America, trying to do all that. It just seems to me that women, in general, they just work a lot harder. There's so much more that they're that's expected of them that, you know, and not everyone's like that, right? Not every relationship, but it seems mm-hmm. like. You know, women are expected to show up and put in the same day as men. They're expected to, you know, be accountable to everything the men are. But then they have to go and they're generally are the primary caregivers uh, for the kids. And they're trying to get to the activities and they're trying to do all that. And it just I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for women because they just work. You know, they just, they work harder than we do. I'm just going to call it what it is. That's that's my opinion. Well, and I think one of the pieces of advice that my dad gave me early on, and this is, I was a teenager, high school age, um, he always said to me, especially when I was whining or complaining about something that was not going well or I didn't have or whatever, he would look at me and say, Diana, the world owes you nothing. If you want it, you need to figure out how to earn it and how to go work for it. But the world owes you nothing. So as long as you feel like you're owed something, you're always going to be stuck. Yeah, you're always going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I am so grateful for that advice. My entire life, I've always it's always been in the back of my head. Yeah. So Yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, it, it's true. We and I think yeah, I was reading a book last night. I was surrounded by narcissists. I'm always reading. Yeah. I think you just read Surrounded by Idiots, but they're really good books, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, it talked about how we're raising like this narcissistic society because, you know, kids are involved in, you know, family decisions that involve, you know, where do we live? Where do we work? What do we do? And kids have just grown up. A lot of kids, not all kids, but a lot of kids have grown up with just everything just kind of given to them and there was no real work involved. It was just, you know, you know, we've got it. So, you know, you're 16, Hey, every 16 year old deserves a convertible Beamer, you know, that type of thing. And so are we as a society creating narcissists, you know, where maybe if they had the advice that your dad gave you that, look, if you want something, you want a car, buy it. If you want you know, car insurance, save your money, right? right. That's kind of like our generation. We grew up like that. If I came in and said, I want this, the, what what would be asked of me is, well, what are you willing to do to get it? Right. Today, it's like, I want this. Go, well, can you can you, can you you do the model down? Oh, I don't want to. Well, mm. Okay. You know what? So what are your thoughts on that? Are we, are we really raising a generation of narcissistic people? Uh, I think... 
Yes, in some ways. Um, I know as a single mom, even if I could have afforded it, the advice I would still give my boys would be, if you want, I will help you with your education because that is lifelong. Right. Uh, if you want a car or toys, yeah. go get a job and figure out how to pay for it. Yeah. And I would yeah. still, to this day, give them that advice. Right. I understand that today's world is a little different for sure. kids. There are sure. social media. There's all kinds of things that parents have to be concerned about that I didn't when I was raising my boys. However, I still think there's some fundamental mindsets that actually would serve kids and equip them to be responsible adults. And because in my mind, I was I was raising adults. I wanted my boys to be able to leave home and be adults and not have to depend on everybody else to do everything for them. Yeah, and being yeah. a single mom, 12 years old, here's the laundry soap, here's the washer, do your laundry. If you have dirty right. clothes, it's on you. Right. So probably sounds a little harsh. However, it also goes back to my military law enforcement. You know, yeah. you're you need to learn how to to take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Be self sufficient. Yes. Yeah. I had a client a few years ago who was still doing the uh, kids' laundry at eighteen, and I was and was complaining about every minute. I've got, I don't have any time. I've got to do the laundry. I'm like, did you ever show them how to turn on a? Mm. You know, we teach people you know, how to treat them. And, and one of the, one of the cornerstones for years of my, my coaching practice has been hold people capable. If you hold people capable, they're going to, they're going to achieve good things. If you do it for them, they learn nothing. Right. Um, what advice would you have for a young professional? Not, you know, I know it's women's leadership, so I'm just going to say, I'm going to put it out there. What advice would you have for a young professional woman just getting started in her career today? Uh, there's probably three things. One, find a mentor. Okay. An effective mentor. An effective mentor. Um, be willing to know what you don't know and ask questions and model mm -hmm. after somebody who is where you want to go or where you want to be be willing to model, and be humble. Be humble and grateful that you are where you should be in that moment. Value the experience. Value the learning that goes along with it. And just, just continue learning and growing. Who are, some of the, who are some of the key mentors you've had in your life? And you don't, you know. The first one I would say is my grandmother. Yeah, your grandmother always comes up, doesn't yeah, she? she? What would, was it about your grandmother that she was such an amazing mentor? She had such a quiet strength. Um, she she didn't have to be the the loudest in the room. She never was actually. However, she always we I always knew she would listen to what I had to say, but then she would quietly provide advice that she didn't think I was listening to, but I heard every word. Mm. I miss her to this day, but yeah. um, in our conversations, however, I would say she would be the first person. She, very quiet, but very strong. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. Um, I would also say I admire you because of the way you lead your life, but 
you know, we've been together 14 years and it's, I credit a lot of where I am today with your leadership and your ability to kind of guide me along the way as well. And I totally respect you for who you are as a person. Thank you. Um, Likewise. I mean, I feel the exact same way. And then also my dad. Yeah. He, he's just, I watched how he negotiated these contracts for airlines. And he was always humble. He was always grateful. He grew up poor in Tennessee mountains. Um, and he was always grateful for what he had. And I learned so many lessons from him just watching how he lived his life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Professionally, without naming names, you've had some, you've had some pretty good uh, leaders in the time I've known you. I would say my, one of my former managers at my former company, um, I learned a ton from him. He was always willing to teach and he was always willing to kind of provide a different perspective yeah. and kind of coach me along the way. Um, good leaders are good teachers. Agreed. They Agreed. really are. Yeah. They really take you through why. Yeah. You know, anybody could say, do this. It's, can you do this? And here's why, right? Mm. Those are the, those are the leaders that, that really stick with us. Well, then you you also understand they're not just asking you to do something because they're checking it off a list and they can call it done and then move on. You also understand here's where the impact is. By us getting this done, here's how we can positively impact the company in, in, a, in a different way. Yeah. So it's, the, it's understanding the bigger picture when um, – you're being asked to do something and the leaders, the most effective leaders are willing to be that transparent and have that conversation. And they're collaborative in their approach. Absolutely. Right? I think mm -hmm. that leaders ultimately have to make the call. Absolutely. However, good leaders take in a lot of information and then they weigh it with the vision, you know, the purpose, the mission, all of that. But all the good leaders I've worked with or been around or coached. I mean, I coach a lot of successful people in a lot of different fields and they're all, they're all collaborative people, right? They're, and they're all, they all tap into their creativity of coaches. You know, I've coached people as celebrities and, mm -hmm. and different, you know, people that are, you know, that are out there, they're, they're out there, people know them, but they're still people, right? And it's so important for them to, to be able to tap into their creativity. And they're usually collaborative and they're not as egotistical as you think they would be. They're, they're people who are on the journey as well. And they're looking for feedback. You know, I think when we have people that everyone's about, dig me, I'm so cool, I have no room to grow. Those, those people, nobody wants to follow those people. Nobody wants to follow their authoritarian that's a tough word isn't it authoritarian mm -hmm, it is. type <laughs> leaders right so well i think the other thing too is they're willing to admit when they're wrong or mm -hmm. they've made a mistake mm -hmm. and not just dig in deeper yeah that's a great point because so many people in leadership they just it, they they can't get off their failed vision right they're going to keep driving it driving it driving it it's the square peg in a round hole it doesn't work mm -hmm. 
And leaders, good leaders are listeners, they're collaborators, they're, they're compassionate. I mean, you know, we, we live in a world, especially the last couple of years, I mean, this has been, this has been unprecedented. And, you know, people were working in an office, then they were home, they were kicking and screaming to go home, now they're kicking and screaming to go back. And, you know, so this is a whole different opportunity to lead. Well, and it's given a lot of people a chance to kind of step back and um, figure out what's working, what's not working, and maybe make a pivot into a different direction because it gave them now an opportunity to do something different. I think they're as, as horrible as the pandemic was. I think there were a lot of really good positive things that came of it um, as a society. Right. Um, and I think it did cause a lot of people to stop and pause and realize that I like being at my kids' activities. I like being able to have my weekends. I like a lot of what comes with being able to work from home. And what managers and leaders learned was that we don't have to be hovering over your cubicle for you Mm -hmm. to do your job. Mm -hmm. In fact, study after study continues to show that work output became higher during the pandemic. People would, maybe they would take lunch to do laundry, so now they could have a Saturday. But then they, once the kids were down, they'd dip in for an hour and a half at night. And so people have learned to work differently. Leaders have also, because of that, had to learn to lead differently. Agreed. They've had to give more, Mm -hmm. you know, free reign. Mm -hmm. Well, and, it, it caused people, the productivity level went up 30% mm-hmm. during the pandemic when people were working from home because yeah. they could be flexible, yeah. get the job done, but do it on their terms. Absolutely. Yeah. And now I think the other thing that we've seen, um, and I know we're coming on time here, but we've I've still got a couple more things I want to shoot your way. But I think another thing we've learned, I, again, I read another study the other day. I don't want to get worked on reading all these studies, but said that people are like 45% more inclined to st- almost 50% more inclined to stay with a company if the company offers continuing education, personal development, workforce development, all these things that they weigh as heavily as money. It's part of the compensation. It's part of the compensation. So the other day, because I was preparing something for a client, and we were talking, I was I was looking at some things, and what it basically said was um, the average person now is changing companies about every three and a half years. Companies that offer personal growth programs, continuing education, like your company does, that retention jumps up to that to almost five years. That tells you just how important, you know, those kind of programs are in a culture. What What are your thoughts on that as a senior leader? I would agree with that because uh, I really feel like that um, people really do want the opportunity to excel in their career so right. that they feel like that what they do matters. 
Yeah. And part of that is developing a wider skill set. Yeah. And if a com- they know that a company supports that and provides that opportunity, yeah. training is important, an important part of the culture. Yeah. I would agree. So when you left the top five bank, that culture had really deteriorated. You've come to this amazing technology company uh, based out of Chicago that is like just what I've seen. It inspires me. Sometimes I'll sit in on some of your, you know, executive calls or town halls and I come out there every time I come out with a different idea that I could somehow implement into my group, right? So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, what are three key lessons you have learned on your journey to the top? And I know you haven't quite reached the top yet, but you're uh no, You're not, on your way. I'll never reach the top um, in the sense that I I love the journey. So I'll always be on the journey. However, I would say be grateful, be humble, and continue being a learner. As long as you're a learner, you'll continue moving and moving and grooving. That's how be I humble. say it. Mm-hmm. Be grateful. Be grateful. And be a learner. Yeah. Yeah. And those are those are just they're just great traits. I mean, if we take nothing away from this uh, this uh, podcast, be humble. Humility is endearing. Humility means that I'm willing to learn. I don't need to be the loudest voice in the room. Gratitude is the foundation of everything. I mean, you and I, I think we practice gratitude more often than not. I mean, even when we're having challenges in our life, we look for the positives, you know, and we're always seem to be in some kind of a, you know, decision-making phase, or we're looking at, you know, going in a different directions. And so gratitude, and then just being willing to learn, be coachable, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm a coach, I've coached, excuse me, tw- you know, close to 1,200 clients in 11 countries. And I don't say that, you know, to impress anybody, but to impress upon you that, you know, every single one of the people I work with, every time I get off a call or a Zoom, I've learned something. I've made notes. I make notes. And they're not about what I'm going to put in their coaching file as much as there are things that, you know, oh, this guy mentioned this book. I'm going to write this down. Or... This person just came up with a really interesting concept or they they describe this in a certain way and I like that way, right? Mm-hmm. So I write that down and maybe I file that for later, but but that's awesome. So final final question. I always do this on the breakthroughs. Um you're eighty years old. Uh you and I are sitting on our deck up in the White Mountains watching the elk in the meadow. And you're looking back over your life. What are you most proud of? Oh, that's a great question. Um, that I'm actually sitting there looking at elk. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I would be most proud of, there's probably two or three things. Go One for is it. run with it. Be an well, overachiever. <laughs> One is I actually stayed in the game. And I played it my way. Okay. And I I made mistakes along the way, but I learned from those, and I chose to continue 
learning and growing along the journey. Yeah, wow. Um, the other thing I would say I'm most proud of is that you and I met and we were able to grow old together. Um, and the third thing is um, my boys. Yeah. My boys are a huge blessing that I had the opportunity to watch grow and evolve as little kids, teenagers, and into adulthood, making their own decisions, building their lives on their terms, yeah. and feeling like I may have had a role in some of that. You had a huge role in that. But I, but also that I was willing to, if something wasn't working, then I was willing to pivot and do something different. Right. And still continue being true to myself. That's what I was going to say. You've, you've been true to yourself. Mm -hmm. you, you've never sold out. Mm -hmm. You've never sold out for money. You've never sold out for prestige. You've done, you've lived authentically. You've run your career authentically. And those are the things that, that I look, you know, amongst so many. I mean, I look up to you for a lot, but I think that's awesome. So, yeah, this is this has been fun having you in here today. And I, I know that people are going to hear this. They're going to benefit from this. A lot of our friends really don't know your story. And I know we just kind of touched on it lightly today. You're a rock star in the technology world, but... You know, we're again trying to trying to you know practice humility a little bit, but I think that uh, you're pretty amazing. Everyone that knows you has been touched by you. Uh, I hear this all the time. How what an impact you make on people. So thank you for coming into the Breakthrough Zone. I'm looking forward to being back here next week. We have a very special guest. It's uh, it, it'll be our next guest in a leadership. This is again. Breakthrough Zone, September Women's Leadership Month. So we're going to have some really great guests uh, rounding out the rest of the month. So, Diana, it's been a privilege professionally, personally, in every way. And it's been my honor. Thank you for having me. See you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. To learn more about John, visit johnpageburton.com. See you next time in the Breakthrough Zone. This podcast is a Live the Dream Media production.